Welcome to another episode of Heavy Wireless Podcast. My name is Keith Parsons, and today we're branching out a little bit. We're not talking specifically about Wi-Fi, but it's still wireless. And I have with me Raymond Hendricks and Troy Martin, and they're both instructors for a LoRaWAN course at WOPC. And I thought we'd get them on the show today and talk about other wireless network protocols that we use other than Wi-Fi. Raymond, can you tell us about how you got started in non-Wi-Fi wireless? It kind of happened because you're a, an engineer by default, and so everything that has a electrical cord, you need to know stuff about, right? People have no idea, and so it kind of happened the same with wireless. You are the Wi-Fi engineer, and so everything that doesn't have a wire, you should know about. One of my friends here in the municipality, he said, well, I have this new protocol and, and I want to look at it. And so what we've done so far is we've put up, I think, 17, 18 gateways covering the entire municipality now for outdoor LoRa. And we're kind of branching out. And so instead of doing just Wi-Fi, um, we're doing more wireless. You want to define, you use the word LoRa. Specifically LoRaWAN, that's the official term. Well, LoRaWAN is a um, protocol part of the 802.15.4. That also poked my interest, which was the CWISA. It's, I think it's the correct course name now, but back in the day it was CWSA, I think it was. But gave a deeper insight of several protocols in uh, 802.15.4 or the IEEE 802.15.4 and LoRaWAN was one of them. And it kind of intrigued me. It's a wireless protocol that can operate within the noise floor. Whereas Wi-Fi engineers were constantly thinking, oh, we need a, a signal level above the noise floor. Uh, LoRaWAN is a technology that operates in the noise floor, uh, which is, is mind-boggling when you think of it. But yeah, it's a, it's a real cool technology and, and a, a step away from Wi-Fi, but still it's wireless. Years ago, in a past life, I used to work for an engineering firm that uh, deployed a lot of control systems, uh, wireless technologies into mines, chemical plants, refineries, that kind of thing. But in the industrial space, they used a, another wireless protocol, Wireless Heart, which was very purpose-designed. It had a lot of mechanisms built in to avoid noise, interference, uh, redundancy through a self-healing, self-optimizing mesh that it would create through the network, I ended up leaving the company uh, to do, do some different things, but I ended up becoming really fascinated with wireless heart. And I wanted to keep learning about it. There's just the problem with wireless heart is it's, it's very expensive to get into. It's a lot of expensive components. It's expensive technology. Uh, there are some packet capturing devices that you can, you can purchase and acquire, but they're also expensive. And then there was LoRaWAN, right? Which reminds me very much of the early days of Wi-Fi. It's a relatively new technology. Its strengths and its claims to fame are it's, it's very low power, uh, long range technology, but the trade-off is it, it's very low throughput, right? So when you look at all those factors together, there's uh, standards developed by the LoRaWAN Alliance. And because it's a young technology, it's very quickly evolving. And there's new iterations of the standard. They provide additional enhancements. Um, there's new security mechanisms that they introduce and how keys are exchanged. They're adding different servers to handle the load of new devices connecting to the network so they can offload uh, key generation and node registration. But as a result, you end up with uh, some discompatibility between different uh, devices that are from legacy versus newer compatibilities. And it just reminds me of those early days of Wi-Fi where we're just trying to figure out all the different combinations of hardware and firmware that was available. Uh, there's a lot of uh, homebrew kits you can get for LoRaWAN, 
some really cheap hardware that you can buy from various electronic uh, distributors and you can develop your own LoRaWAN circuits, write your own firmware, your own code, modify existing code and build up your own solutions with a mix of Raspberry Pis and various sensors to measure things like humidity, temperature, vibration, soil moisture, uh, all those different parameters. Uh, and, and really, you can take it anywhere you want. So just having that that low cost uh, tinkering ability with LoRaWAN, uh, that's what made it really attractive to me. And that's why I've really kind of jumped in on it. Uh, and then Raymond and I got together to put to, together a course for WPC to kind of to, to bring together our excitement about LoRaWAN and share it with others. What's the kit you use for the course? And what are the concepts that you end up teaching? It's a it's three days long. And so you go from ground zero to how far does someone get in the end of three days? Troy and I looked at, okay, what do we need to teach? And we didn't want it just three days to be theoretical, just throw the books at you and throw all the standards at you. Um, so we wanted to combine the theory, which you need to understand how it works with some, uh, some hands-on. What we're teaching is theoretical. So how does LoRa work? How is the redundancy? How does it, when we're using SF12, meaning in LoRaWAN, we're, we're doing 12 bits in a transmission, how does it make it slower? It, it's really the inverse that, as you would expect, uh, but it makes it more robust. Um, and so we need to teach those concepts first. Um, and then what we use as a kit to teach is a Raspberry Pi. As Troy said, it is fairly easy to use. And we're using a Raspberry Pi because it is a multi-platform component in our, in our class. So we use it to be our LoRaWAN gateway. We use it to be our database server. Um, and we use it to be our graphical server as well. So we use Influx and Grafana to actually demonstrate, okay, we're sending data, we're receiving data. And we're showing that in a graph, and you can automate from beyond that. I've sat your course and enjoyed it. I think there's the academic part, and CWMP has an entire series of courses on IoT, starting with the CWISA, it's the administrator level, to a professional level, to an integrator level, and then they have a final CYs is the expert level. And I know you both of you have been involved with those courses in the development. So how much do you think someone needs that academic training to get the language and the, and the vocabulary down before they start actually playing with gear? None. That's why we kind of built this course. So this is a very hands-on approach. And I, I really love the CWMP program, but it teaches, as you said, theory, academics, and a lot of other protocols in our 802.15.4 stack. But when you are a company, uh, you, you are choosing a protocol. And so, so did Troy and I, we chose LoRaWAN as it's a really fun protocol and, and it's very applicable. We see it moving forward in the future as a heavily used protocol. We kind of distilled this theory from CWMP program into a hands-on and you walk away with a kit and some theory that can help then help you build your own home lab. Well, you basically bring home your own home lab and you can then build on your experience and expertise and play around. Okay. So just a, a general infrastructure piece. So you build a Raspberry Pi and you called it a gateway. How does that information get back to your computer that you're using to manage it? Are you controlling the gateway from your laptop? You use the word gateway. Maybe you could describe what a LoRaWAN gateway is. The way I like to think about LoRaWAN in terms of its architecture is four kind of components. 
And if we look at the components, in my head, I think about it on the left-hand side, um, we have one component that we'll call the, the, the sensors or the actuators, right? So these are things actually measuring your temperature, vibration, or they could be things uh, doing actions, right? So uh, motors, fans, uh, turbines, uh, level switches, that kind of thing. But these are our little um, LoRaWAN devices out in the field. Um, they could be clipped onto animals, uh, tracking them with GPS coordinates, updating to the, the ranchers and farmers where their, their livestock, where their assets are out in the field. So it's both an indoor and outdoor technology. But all of those sensors send upstream messages uh, out to a gateway, right? If we think about it in the Wi-Fi world, you can think of that almost like an access point. But the, the gateway receives all those LoRaWAN messages. And you can have multiple gateways deployed in your environment for redundancy purposes, overlapping coverage, uh, improved signal performance. And so every time the sensor sends up a message, multiple gateways can hear that message. Now, the role of the gateway then is that's where it terminates the LoRaWAN uh, transmission, right? So uh, egressing the gateway, it forwards those messages onto a network server uh, using an IP protocol. Now, the network server can be a server that exists up in the cloud. It could be a server that runs in your environment. Or in the case of our lab class, uh, it's a server that runs on the Raspberry Pi. So in our case, the Raspberry Pi is acting both as a gateway and as a network server, right? It just depends on how much capacity and resources that you'd need to, to decide if you want to use different resources for that. Uh, the network server is responsible for receiving all the messages that get forwarded to it from the gateways. And the network server takes care of deduplication of all those redundant messages that come in. So essentially, it boils down to the first message uh, sent uh, received is the one that gets uh, processed. Every additional message that comes in just gets dropped so we can mitigate deduplication. And then to your question, to make it useful to users, we have that last layer in the architecture, the application server. And so the application server often has you know, some form of uh, you know, a conduit uh, API calls or some other technique where it can extract information from the network server and store all your data points in some sort of database, right? And this is where users can start looking at graphs, look at heuristics information, uh, monitor trends, uh, get those GPS coordinates, figure out where, you know, their cows are in their field, um, what the temperature is of your uh, your greenhouse that kind of thing. But the useful information for the user comes from the application server. And what I really find, uh, for me at least personally, exciting about LoRaWAN is not only do we touch the wireless piece and the wireless component where we have to understand what channel, what frequency, what spreading factor we're using as part of LoRa down at uh, the layers one and layers two, but we also, in order to make that solution useful, we have to bring that data up to the upper layers of the OSI stack, extract it out in the application server, and then present it in some sort of format, often you know, web pages, dashboards, that kind of thing to make it useful to the users, right? So we're touching multiple layers and integrating many different uh, components as we put together these lower one solutions. And I find that really exciting. Thank you, Troy. That was helpful because you put all of those things in one little Raspberry Pi. So they're not terribly resource intensive, but they do have separate features, and so you need to understand all those layers. In the real world, not just in your lab, are those normally separate pieces of hardware, separate servers in different locations? Generally, in the real world, they would be separate. But often, designers are presented with two different options. You have the option of going to a public cloud, so something like uh, the Things Network, 
where they take care of the network server and application server functionality for you and exists in, in their cloud, or you can roll your own private cloud, right? And run it in uh, Google or Azure or something like that, but then you control the servers and you have to maintain and support it. So just depending on how comfortable you are with exposing your data to others and having it sit at rest or you know pass in transit through, through various uh, countries and, and different pipes, um, you have generally those different options, but a more homebrew would be uh, all on the same device, Raspberry, but a professional deployment, you'd be looking at some sort of larger scale separate and then deciding if you want to go public or private. If we're using, for example, the Things Network and so we're sending our data over a public network, that doesn't mean that it is unencrypted. It's still encrypted for only us to use. The Things Network allows all of their clients to have encrypted data, so they can't see your data. Exactly. So in, in LoRaWAN, the way the protocol is written is all the way from the that sensor node, uh, measuring vibration humidity, all the way to the application server. Uh, it's encrypted using 128-bit AES encryption. So along the entire path, uh, your data is encrypted in transit. Potentially, you know, it could be exposed once it hits the application server and the data is extracted at that point. So just depending on what your comfort and risk mitigation strategies are, you may need to make the appropriate decisions. You mentioned the Things Network. Uh, Raymond, can you tell us a little bit about what is the Things Network? It's an Amsterdam-based organization. They started as a crowdfunding project and have now grown to a worldwide company, actually, offering free public LoRaWAN technology, but also uh, enterprise-level uh, LoRaWAN technologies where you it will, it's not no longer free. But uh, as, a, as a business, you get more resources, more functionality, but there's a cost to it. So of those four parts that Troy had mentioned, which of those does the Things Network take care of for you? They would take care of the uh, network and application server for you. So you'd still need your own gateway. Now, I have a question. If I had a sensor and it sends out a signal that is collected, how do different LoRaWAN gateways in my immediate area that pick it up, how do they know whether or not they're supposed to forward that one? So every gateway that hears it receives that message. And within that message are codes uh, to tell it which network server to forward that message onto. So any gateway server that hears it will forward that message onto the appropriate network server. So basically every gateway that can hear it will pass it along. Now, some gateways may not be able to pass it on to certain network servers. So the message ends there, but anyone that has the capability or layer three connectivity uh, permissions to pass it on to a network server will will do so. And then at the network server level, its role is to uh, process all the duplicate messages that are coming in so that we're not processing redundant messages, taking in that data needlessly. 802.11 has the same type of thing where we encrypt our data, but the Mac layer is unencrypted, so the transport knows where it's supposed to send it. So it sounds like it's 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 like that 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 sensor sends it to the gateway. Obviously, in the clear, it knows where to send it to the next place, but the payload itself is encrypted. How far do these sensors send data? You mentioned, I'll use a Wi-Fi term, a coding rate, but you can change the rates, and then you said it has different distance limitations. What are we talking in tens of meters or in kilometers? The world record of a successful LoRaWAN transmission is over 800 kilometers. Okay, that, that's a long way. There's a lot of factors that go into it, uh, very similar to other wireless technologies. Uh, there's different uh, frequency widths or bandwidths that are used. So depending on your regulatory domains, you're either using 125, 250, or 500 uh, kilohertz wide signals. And then within that, you have uh, something called spreading factors for LoRaWAN. 
So LoRaWAN uses a uh, chirp spreading spectrum technique where it's uh, almost like a increasing tone, right? So you start with a, a low pitch and you work towards a higher pitch and you spread that tone as you chirp across the, the bandwidth. And there's six different spreading factors that uh, LoRaWAN supports. And each spreading factor uh, takes longer periods of time uh, to spread that tone across the spectrum. Uh, the longer it takes you to chirp, that means your battery and your transmitter is turned on. So it consumes battery power, drains your battery faster, which means you have to replace batteries or recharge batteries uh, quicker. Uh, the shorter you can get on and off the airwaves, the less talk time you consume and the less power you require. So the shorter chirps also allow you to talk at higher data rates. And generally, as kind of a rough rule of thumb, that shorter spreading factor, which we call spreading factor seven, you get about two kilometers of range, open air, line of sight, outdoors in the two kilometer ballpark. If you go all the way to the extreme spreading factor 12, right, which means you're on the air a lot longer, you're working much below the noise floor. So you're working at about neg 37 dBm for receive sensitivity. So it's uh, very, 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 very low. We're looking neg 20 below the, the noise floor. There you're looking at about 14 kilometers. Again, outdoors, open line of sight kind of thing. So that kind of gives you kind of typical operation. But as Raymond mentioned, like we've set records of, of 800 kilometers. It works indoors, outdoors, uh, through rain, through vegetation. It's a very robust and resilient uh, protocol. And it uh, has the ability to, to adapt as well. Use different spreading factors as you move towards and away from the gateways. Or as uh, your environment changes, it can adapt itself to use different spreading factors using an adaptive data rate mechanism. Can you also fix it to the most battery savings one and say, don't, we don't want you to adapt? Yes, yes. absolutely. You can do that. And in fact, if uh, if your solution has devices in motion, like cows roaming the field, it's recommended not to use adaptive data rates just to fix on one, one data rate. Because, you know, in, in Wi-Fi, as you move towards and away the access point and your data rate changes, uh, it may take a few frames for you to, to retransmit and lock onto a data rate that's successful. And you can afford to do that in Wi-Fi. In LoRaWAN, you really wanna minimize the number of messages that you can send, and you don't have the luxury of sending a few messages that fail to dial in the spreading factor or the data rate that you should use. So it helps if you can just lock into a spreading factor, uh, use the most resilient one that you have for your application and lock into that so that it remains static and does not change. Yeah, if you're sending data once every hour or maybe even once every 15 minutes, which is quite a lot for LoRaWAN, then it's hard to dial in a correct data rate. Okay. A lot of this sounds Wi-Fi-esque, but some things sound a little backwards, like you're spreading is less battery usage, but higher data rate. That sounds kind of backwards. Can you describe how that works, Troy? Yeah. So it's it's more like you're uh, you're talking slower, right? So it's, uh, think of it, I slow down my communication which makes it easier for the receiver to, to understand what's being said. But as I spend more time talking, as I slow down that communication, it's less throughput, right? So less information passing over the airwaves um, at the sacrifice of consuming more battery. So you have to make that trade-off. Is it better to transmit at longer range, right? And consume less power, potentially I have to make more visits to that remote site to swap its batteries or recharge it? Or is it uh, better to, to talk faster? And different countries have different rules around this, right? So if we look in uh, Europe, a lot of uh, European uh, countries are regulated based on duty cycle, right? So they can only transmit a certain percentage of the time and they have to go quiet. If you look at uh, North America, 
North America is limited to uh, to avoid monopolizing the airtime. So they can only talk at most 400 milliseconds at a time, and then they have to take a break, right? So they can't monopolize the conversation. And so based on those different regulatory requirements, you may need to play around with your spreading factor so that you're fitting your messages into the appropriate time intervals to be successful and compliant with your regulatory body. I, I want to thank you both. This has been a compressed version of your course. Where would someone go to find you, Troy, if they wanted to follow up and ask you more questions? Probably the best spot is you can uh, search for me on LinkedIn. So it's uh, Troy Martin. I, I'm a managing director at my, my own company, Trogan Consulting. Uh, find me there. Or uh, if you still do the Twitter thing, Troy Mart on Twitter. And Raymond? I still do the uh, X thing. So it's X now, Troy. Uh, um, but yeah, so at Raymond Hendricks. Uh, and Hendricks is just with an X. Again, also, if you look me up on LinkedIn as well, that's where I can be found as well. So Raymond, don't short it. It's just full out Raymond Hendricks. And yeah, people can find me there. Or otherwise, just go to wifi-wise.com. And where would you suggest someone go if they want to get started in Lorwan? Our boot camp, of course. <laughs> in addition to your boot camp. There are some great videos on the Things Network website. That's a great starter as well. Also, the Lorwan Alliance has a lot of uh, resources and documents that you can uh, dig into that are available for free. So you can read the Lorawan standard as well as the different standards for security implementations or regulatory rules uh, for different uh, countries. So a lot of good documentation there to read through if if, if that's your thing. Um, but training-wise, uh, the Things Network is an excellent resource, as Raymond pointed out. Well, thank you both for helping us learn a little bit about Lorawan. We'll add in the show notes links to all the things we've talked about today. Again, this has been a, another heavy wireless podcast, part of the Packet Pushers podcast network. We're glad you joined us and look forward to talking with you in the future. Thanks.